Welcome to I Need Some Air. Bending. A last airbender fan cast from someone who's seen the show before. And someone who has not. I'm Landon Ferguson. And I'm Michael Williams. It opens up with the gang. They realize they're running out of money, and so they come across a village, kind of a market area. Sokka decides to get a job helping a fisherman, and we see this fisherman. He recognizes Aang, because Aang is making no attempt to hide who he is. And he recognizes Aang, and he berates him and calls him, like, you're the Avatar, you, you turned your back on the world. That brings up a lot of guilt for Aang, and Aang flies away. Katara comes after him, and that's where he kind of reveals what happened leading up to him leaving the Southern Air Temple, and how he sealed himself and Appa in an iceberg. Meanwhile, Sokka's just on the fishing boat. He said he was going to do a job, so he did it. And while he's out there, a storm hits... So Aang and Katara have to go out and they have to save Sokka. Aang is able to earn the fisherman's respect. While everything with Aang and Katara and Sokka is happening, we also have Zuko and Iroh back again. They are around the same area as the other gang. So much so that they get hit by the same storm. And we kind of see that this lieutenant of Zuko's doesn't like how Zuko's running things. And Iroh comes in and talks to the lieutenant and we get the flashback and revelation of how Zuko got his scar. Zuko and his ship, they get hit by the storm. Zuko manages to save some of his crew from getting injured or killed in the storm, and he sees Aang on Appa flying away, but he decides to let Aang go so that he can make sure his crew is safe. I really enjoyed this episode, Landon. I'm, I'm not going to lie. This is a pretty good episode, and I think it was a, a step up from the last one. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this one again. It's always yeah. a good one. All right, let's start with Aang. Yeah, let's start with Aang, the protagonist of this show. Let's start with him. He tells Katara the story of the night he ran away, and... This episode is just really good, I think, because it's just a story that you're waiting to see. Like, I think the episode is good because you get that nice parallel between Zuko and Aang, and you you get both of their kind of origins to their journeys right now. We see the episode, it starts off with, he has a nightmare, kind of about him just kind of flying, I believe, on Appa. Sokka's flying on Aang's air stick, and then Katara's flying on Momo, this yes. giant yes. at this point. But it's a but it's a dream. Once I saw Momo, I just thought, okay, this not is not the part when Sokka was airbending to fly a glider. Uh, we don't we don't know everything <laughs> about Sokka at this point. But Momo was the giveaway for me, and then we just kind of see everything fall apart at that point. And he wakes up, so it really, I felt this is a very important Ang episode. You brought this up early on that you kind of wanted to see. Aang start to struggle with mistakes that he's made on missing out on the Hundred Year War. And this is it. I mean, this is him having nightmares about it. Yep. I wanted to see Aang at his lowest possible point, at his darkest. And I think this is all Nickelodeon is allowing us to go. So we get to see Aang feel a little overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. That, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. When I read the description for this episode, I thought it was going to be another, oh, Aang gets recognized, and they have to run away before Zuko finds him, and it's mm -mm. not that. It's just, he gets recognized by a fisherman who just scolds him, 
basically reaffirms his own fears and doubts and his sense of guilt, especially after just having that nightmare. Yeah. So Aang just starts to feel a whole lot worse. Right, and so we see him tell the story to Katara of the night that he disappeared. It's really interesting because you see him, he's clearly a very gifted airbender because he's invented a new airbending move that none of his other age range friends are able to do yet. And while he's playing with them and sort of trying to teach them the air scooter, he's called up by the monks for them to tell him he's the Avatar. And they reaffirm that he wasn't supposed to know yet until he was 16. But they feel that things are... They say a storm is coming, and this is more of a metaphor for the Fire Nation planning an attack. And somehow they they know something's not right. So they want to force Aang to learn to be the Avatar earlier than he normally would have to. And that pressure forces him to run away, especially after they say they're going to separate him and Monk Gyatsu to send him away to the Eastern Air Temples. Not being able to deal with that, Aang runs away and hits a real storm. It was nice to see Monk Gyatsu return. Mm-hmm. I, I thought he was uh, a welcome addition to this episode. Yeah. And we see a little bit more about his relationship with Aang, because we, we see that moment where the monks tell Gyatsu, hey, we're going to separate you and Aang so that Aang can train better. And Gyatsu is very upset by that. And we found out Aang's been eavesdropping. And Gyatsu goes to Aang's room while he thinks that Aang is sleeping. And he's telling him, hey, you don't need to worry about that. I'm not going to let them take you away from me. And he finds out that Aang is not there anymore. And he left mm. a scroll, a note. And uh, correct me if I'm wrong, we didn't hear what the note said or see I, what it said. I don't think so. Yep. So a little, little heartbreaking for Gyatsu. But also, what did you think about the things started to change kind of slowly for Aang once he found out he was the Avatar because everyone else knew too, including his friends, and they wouldn't let him play anymore because it would be unfair for whatever team might have the Avatar on it, even though that's not necessarily true because Aang didn't know anything differently skill-wise. Yeah. It, he sort of got shunned out of being able to just play. Yeah, I wanted to punch those kids in the face. <laughs> I, that That's how I felt watching that. He's like, yeah, it's really no different. He really hasn't learned anything. He might throw some water at you if you cheat. I mean, his whole world was changing, you know, that combined with being shipped off to another temple. It's kind of understandable why he ran away. Correct me if I'm wrong. There's only two air temples, right? A northern and a southern. If memory serves, there's four. Okay. There's definitely three, but I think there's four. All right, that makes sense. It's interesting, too, because we've seen little hints of the storm before. In, I believe, the first episode, Aang has a small nightmare or memory about it. I mean, just a quick flash enough to you, you know, know something happened for him to get in that ice. So I think that's one of the reasons this episode is so interesting, because it's answering something that could have been in place without that setup like they could have just left you to wonder how to get in the ice but they show little teases in that episode of a storm of him falling into the ocean and it's just this nice bit of continuity setup that you don't get in a lot of shows you know yeah i'm a sucker for continuity so anytime you pull it off this well it's just great yeah laying down early seeds i guess yeah definitely well done for the story of ang 
And I'm sure your favorite part of this episode was Zuko's half. And any anything with Iroh, I am um, <laughs> I'm a sucker for it. These two stories, like Zuko and Aang's, are running concurrently, and they both start off in the same way. Whereas Aang and them are at the market, and that old woman is talking to her fisherman husband, saying like, I'm old, I can sense a storm coming, it's like I feel it in my bones. Mm-hmm. And then we see Zuko and Iroh, I was just like, I, I feel a storm coming, Zuko, we should probably turn around. And then we even see in Aang's flashback, like, all the old monks, and, like, we sense a, a storm clouds are gathering. So really, a lot of emphasis on old people and their ability to, to sense storms. No, wait, when the monks were talking about it, they were talking metaphorically, right? Uh, I mean, a storm did come. It's like, everything's metaphorical if you apply it. It just, <laughs> well, I it mean, just so happened. In happens. that case, then... Yeah, I didn't remember that they mentioned the storm that Aang ran into. I remember them talking about the upcoming war. It has a double meaning, Landon. A double meaning. It just happened to be a coincidence that there was actually a storm that Aang ran into. So we see that. What? Like, Aang doesn't run away the day that they tell him he's the Avatar. Ah. And they they mention that there's a storm brewing with the Fire Nation. Monks are really powerful. They feel the air shifting around them. That's how good they are at airbending. Hey, I believe it. Okay. Alright, let's move on. Alright, Iroh. Okay, Iroh's awesome. Like we mentioned in the plot recap, there's a lieutenant on the boat. Because Zuko makes an offhanded comment to Iroh. Every one of the crew is expendable in the search of the Avatar. Something along those lines. Yeah, no one is more important than capturing the Avatar. Yep, and we see this lieutenant, and I don't think we ever learn his name. The lieutenant overhears that, and... He, he's kind of scowling at Zuko, and Zuko is scowling at him back, but Zuko looks better because he got the scar. <laughs> if you have a scar, you're a better scowler. And we kind of see this lieutenant is kind of down, I guess, in the, the lower decks, talking to the other soldiers of the Fire Nation. So like, Zuko, he doesn't know what he's doing. Like almost, It almost looked like they were about to stage a mutiny. Yeah, I think, I think if they had sat down there just talking a little bit more, that might have happened. And then old Iroh comes in, and he manages to assuage their uh, their fears and all their doubts and everything. And we have Iroh telling the soldiers how exactly Zuko came to be where he is, and how he came mm-hmm. to be the banished prince, and why he's on the the search for the Avatar. What it basically happened was Zuko had spoken out at a war council meeting against a general's plan to send untrained recruits to die. He had spoken out against that plan. He thought, no, you shouldn't send these people to die. They are defenders of the Fire Nation, and you shouldn't just kill them so easily. The way they explained it, him rejecting the general's plan in the War Council room was also a way of disrespecting the Fire Lord, who was also present in the room. Right. It was the Fire Lord's council. We don't get the specifics, but Iroh says when you disrespect like a high-ranking official that way, the only thing to do is an Agni Kai. Zuko's assumption was that the Agni Kai would be with the general he spoke out against. But then Zuko learns that his Agni Kai is with his father, the Fire Lord. Mm -hmm. And kind of a fascinating aspect of this episode was that we never see Fire Lord Ozai. He's cast in shadow the whole time. What did you think about that, about just not showing his face like any other character? I I liked it, because it's kind of that idea of, like, we don't show the villain, we just kind of talk about him and let the suspense build up. 
mm-hmm. it goes along. So I, I like that. So yeah, Zuko learns that he is dueling his father, and... He won't do it. Yeah, he was prepared to battle the general, but he wasn't prepared to battle his father. And he basically begged for mercy. I believe his father saw that as a shameful... Dishonorable and... Yeah, they saw it as a, I think, of a, even more of a disrespect. So you couldn't even fight, and Iroh is telling this whole story, and Iroh was there watching... I'm sure he feels a little bit guilty because he's the one that let Zuko into the war council. Mm. And we get to the big moment, and we don't see this. I assume it's the big moment where he, Zuko gets that scar on his eye from, yes. from his father. And we don't see how that happens. We just hear like the fire and Zuko scream, and we see Iroh just looking away. It sort of makes the audience parallel Iroh a little bit. Because Iroh looked away, so he didn't actually see it happen. And neither do we. Yep. And then uh, Zuko was banished and sent on a quest to search for the Avatar. And finding the Avatar is the only way he could ever return and regain his honor. Right. I think I liked that part of the episode more. Because I'm, I'm really digging Zuko and Iroh's story whenever they get into it. I know they're your favorite characters, and I think they're, they're just fan-favorite characters in general. I know I really love Zuko's storylines and everything in the show. They're they're just some of the best character stories in probably any media. But which one do you think actually had the better like which one told a better story, I guess? That's a tough one. I I think right now I'm leaning towards Zuko. There's something about the fact that he is really a villain and mm-hmm. And this goes into, like, this is a well-discussed idea of, like, why audiences are fascinated with villains. And usually it's, it tends to come down to, does the villain change? Like, can the villain change? That's why there's a lot of good stories of, like, of a villain redeeming themselves or of a mm-hmm. hero falling from grace. As much as I would love to see it, I don't think Aang is going to fall from grace. I don't think he's ever going to reach yeah. a really dark moment. Just from watching, I feel he's going to stay more or less the same throughout the series. He's Not go- to say that he can't have character struggles. Yeah, but for the most part, he's always going to be the good guy. Right. And, uh, and unless there's a battle that in the future that he just completely loses, and he experiences a really low point and a lot of self-doubt, for the most part, he's going to ultimately win, or at least walk away, I guess, in a better light. But with, with Zuko, even though he's the villain, I'm watching and I just think, yeah, he's a villain, but he's got his heart in the right place compared to all the other Fire Lord people. And I don't know what... Oh, yeah. He does mention that like, he is going to rule the Fire Nation one day. He said, like, I, I deserve to know what happens in the War Council. And I'm yeah. sure that his experience just in this one meeting of the War Council has more or less sullied his idea of actually going and leading the Fire Nation, if not a little bit... Maybe just mm-hmm. in the back of his mind. I really do think this opens a door for him to change as a person and not be a full-out full out villain. Yeah. I mean, it definitely makes you feel for him a little bit to understand the position he's in. But he's still... He's done bad things to get to where he is now, to get as close to the Avatar as he's gotten. And I'm, I want to see that continue even if he does flip. You know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want him to just not be the villain from this point on just because we understand why he is the way he is. 
Mm-hmm. He, he doesn't need to flip too fast, I guess, if that were the case. Yeah. And I, I just don't remember what happens with Zuko from here. Like, you know, you remember the big points. So I'm curious to see what little details are still there with Zuko. And, and that being said, you can understand a villain and he can still be a villain. And even when reaching an understanding, it's so much as, okay, I understand where you're coming from. I might not agree with it, but I understand how you logically reached these conclusions and how you became this way. Even if you don't understand a villain, you can still have a compelling villain without even understanding them, as long as they kind of, they have a presence about them and they do evil things that kind of affect the hero. But with Zuko, we don't really see him do anything directly to Aang. Like we see him trying to capture him, but he's not really he hasn't really done anything nefarious directly to Aang. Well, no. Knowing what we know about the Avatar and Rebirth, he can't he has to capture him alive. Yeah. Or he's got nothing. Yeah. And even then I I wouldn't put it past like Fire Lord Ozai or like Commander Zhao or um the prison warden to do something nefarious and something very evil. But I don't I think it's a I guess the best way to put it, I think it's a conscious decision of the showrunners where they have Zuko be the villain, but they don't have him go too far that the audience loses their support of him Mm -hmm. or loses their understanding of him. And we even see that, I think a better example of that is Iroh. Like, Iroh, by all intents and purposes, should be a villain, but he's a lovable goof. And we even see, we see the moments where he's, um, he's stern and he does know how to defend himself. And he'll do what needs to be done. For, but for the most part, he behaves more like a hero. He has charisma and he has a positive attitude about things. Yeah. Well, while we're on Iroh, we see a big thing with Iroh this episode. Do you remember what it is? Oh, gosh. It was during the storm. Oh, oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, I wrote this down. Did Iroh take the lightning? He didn't take it. Okay. He redirected it. Oh, my God. I, re- I completely forgot about that, but I wrote it down. Because we saw that, just like, I was just like, took the lightning and put it in a different location. Mm-hmm. Okay, he took it out of the sky, and then he just, like, pointed it back into the ocean, right? Uh, yeah, just off, okay. just to disperse it, yeah. And it it's a really cool moment. It's a new development. And then they totally take the punch out of it by going for a, a joke, basically, by having his hair all sticking out and sparked out, like, it was funny, but watching it this time around, it totally took the weight out of it, of what he just did. And almost, you couldn't tell that he redirects it. It almost feels like he just he just took it. I'm not going to lie, I never noticed the hair uh, standing up. I just noticed that he took the lightning and put it in a different place. Yeah. What else do you make of that? Um, either... I, mean, I, I guess lightning is technically heat, mm-hmm. at least a form of heat, so that that makes sense. Or or either... Well, heat is energy, and lightning's just a massive outburst of instant energy. Yeah. So it's either that, like, it's a really advanced form of technique uh, for firebending, or, yeah. or Iroh just happens to be one of those people that, like, lightning attracts to, and they just get struck by lightning a lot, and he just figured <laughs> out how to deal with it. <laughs> Like you ever you ever read about those stories of people like I've been struck by lightning seven times in my life. I feel that like Iro it has that problem. 
that would be some kind of a running gag for a show to just like every episode or every other episode Iroh's just dodging lightning. <laughs> Why not? <laughs> now, you hit the nail on the head. It's, it's a very advanced firebending technique and this is our first glimpse at it. Okay. And that just opens up so many possibilities for the world building, you know, that it's just the the bending is not stagnant, you know. It's great that our characters aren't stagnant, but this also means the world isn't. God. There's still stuff for us to learn and stuff for the show to show us. I'm trying to figure out what other bending abilities have that type of like, application to them. What else could advance in that way? Yeah. I know I, know I have my theory about shouldn't um, an earthbender be able to bend wood and technically metal since it, they do come from the earth. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm trying to think, like, what what could water do? Other than just directly affect water, but, like, what's another, I guess, what would be another form of water? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Just one of those things. I don't know, could an airbender control, like, the air currents in an ocean? Or maybe, no, I guess I mean, not just... an ocean. I don't know. I think if you start going grand scale like that, you'd you'd probably need a massive army of airbenders, you know? Like maybe. I feel like stuff like that is is more more contained, like more up close and personal if you're just one person, you know. And the redirecting the lightning, he didn't he didn't shoot it. Yeah. He just was able to channel it and bend it out a different direction. There will be advancements in other bending styles, other elements. And you'll just have to wait to see what they are. <sighs> That's the big one. We get a few other little things, or I guess one other thing. The toys that represent Aang's past lives. Mm-hmm. The monks used when he was a child. I guess they every... You can assume that every heir temple was doing this with their newborns after Roku died. They yeah. would test him with trinkets of previous avatars and... Aang picked out all four toys out of an assortment that belonged to past lives. So it's interesting, this subconscious connection to to the past lives that, that Aang wasn't even aware of. I've, I feel like that test could easily fail. <laughs> you don't have a better system than this? Like, what if someone just has a cool taste in toys? Well, I mean, if they, if they go straight to them without any hesitation or doubt. I'm sure there's a way to tell. I mean, I guess. Or maybe they should have made them, like, the most boring toys ever so that a normal kid wouldn't gravitate toward them, but the Avatar would. Yeah. I don't know. I just thought it was a... Like, is that really your system for finding the most powerful person in the world? Toys? I don't know. I don't know. Does there exist a period where there's no Avatar in the world? Like a 16-year period? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess not a six, not necessarily a 16-year period because that he's born. It's just not a... There's not a trained, realized Avatar out there. Like, I always assume that when one Avatar dies, however old they are, they've done their job and have balanced the world accordingly, or as best they could. Then they pass... And the next one's born immediately. Like, the next child of the element cycle that's born is the Avatar. Okay, so then that means there's maybe a 15-year period, mm-hmm. give or take five years, where that's just not an Avatar. That's just when you start your training. You're not even fully realized yeah. for maybe a couple more years. So let's say 20, 
Yeah. And that lets the balance shift the other way, and then it's the Avatar's job to bring everything back, so it's this constant back and forth. That's really weird. I've never thought about it like that. I just assumed, okay, by the time Aang is ready, like, Aang might have been around 12 or 13 mm-hmm. when Roku died. So you're still thinking it's just a power change. Yeah. I guess it, in that way. Yeah. Yeah, it's a full rebirth, so you ha- you'd have to wait for them to grow up. That's just so weird that there's all this fixation on there being an avatar on the world, but then there's a period where there really isn't an avatar on the world because the avatar is training, or just an infant. But, I mean, let's say you live 100 years and you die. You're spent more time being the avatar than you were not because there's a 20-year period of learn, then you have 80 years to be the avatar. So there's always more time with an avatar than not. But it, it makes perfect sense, though, because... Like I said, it's that back and forth. You have to give time for things to shift the other way for the Avatar to be able to do his job and shift balance back. But then also, the Fire Nation attacked while Aang was still 12. Yeah, 12. They knew that if they attacked within that time period, when Sozin's Comet was coming by, so they could get that power boost, that they could potentially kill the Avatar before he became a threat. And that was their big advancement in the war. That was their big time to strike. It, I mean, it makes total sense that, that you'd have to have that weak point in the world for something like this to happen. Yeah, I, I think that makes sense. It's just really weird to think about the Avatar. It's like, okay, I'm getting pretty close to death. And there's going to be maybe a 20-year period where there's not an Avatar. All right, I need to achieve total balance. I have to negotiate some peace treaties, need to figure out some economic long-term plans. Uh, We need to have enough food ready. It's just really weird to think about the Avatar making those adjustments right before he passes. I think anybody who would take take that opportunity, that 20-year period, to do anything nefarious would always have to think, well... I'm going to pay for this when the, when the Avatar has grown up, right? Yeah. But the Fire Nation took a different approach and said, no, we're going to take him out before he's a threat because we've got the advantage here to do it. Unfortunately for them, I guess they missed. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't know. Props to the Fire Nation. They nearly did it in that 20-year yeah. period. Just nearly. I mean, they got a 100-year head start, so, you know, I guess not a failure. I guess the next logical step, if the Fire Nation does capture Aang again, I think the only thing they could do is just, okay, we'll just freeze you, because apparently, once you're frozen, yeah, like, I mean... everything will continue. <laughs> you're not going to die, so we'll just yeah. freeze you. Man, that would, be a, that would be a dark alternate ending for Avatar. They just freeze Aang at, at the end of it. He's right back where he started. You catch him, and if he can't be trained, he can't be a fully realized Avatar, because no matter how much he goes into the Avatar state, especially early on like this, we see that it's still a reflex. Like, he's not, he hasn't been trained how to do it. So it's like, even though he can call on those powers, if they were able to actually successfully capture him, I think it would be, you know, it'd be over. Because he wouldn't be able to learn anything. I keep forgetting that he still needs to go get trained. Yeah. So I, I really think in the next couple episodes, they really need to get to this water temple. Well, let's, let's look here. Let's see what we got. I know we had some training with Katara, but that just resulted in Katara feeling jealous. And I don't know how much learning Aang did. Five more episodes till we get there. Oh my god. And then we spend three episodes there. 
Alright, that's good. Alright. Okay, five more. Okay, yeah, we're on episode 12. So we had eight episodes mm-hmm. left. I'm doing the math, Landon. Definitely some interesting ways to think about the Avatar. Yeah, it's it's quite a interesting and complex system that they've put together, and it's it's proven itself. It works. Yeah. Well, I I think this is a really good episode. I think we learned a good bit in this episode. This might be I think this might be my favorite so far that we've watched. This is the kind of stuff you hope for, right? This is this is where all the meat on the bones is. This yeah. gives you something to discuss. Something to go through, stuff to think about, stuff to look forward to. It's just good writing. All right, well, let's look at our next episode. Yep. And this is a doozy. I'm going to go ahead and just read this one because normally I ask what you think about it, but these little captions are, are getting weird. Episode 13, The Blue Spirit. With Sokka and Katara still ailing from the effects of the storm... Aang must find some frozen frogs to cure his cohorts. Now, one thing in this, it's still nice to see that the show doesn't just erase what happened before, like some cartoons. There's some continuity here. They're sick from the storm that we just saw them in. Really? With Sokka and Katara still ailing from the effects of the storm. I I mean, okay, I guess. I guess Aang has a better immune system because he's the Avatar. I reckon, I don't know. And Appa, because he is a gigantic flying bison, and he's got the fur equipped. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. Well, you know, it makes sense. You know, they haven't been eating a whole lot because they're broke, so they're probably lacking in some nutrients and some vitamin D, so their immune system is probably hilariously compromised. Or it may be that fish that that dude handed Sokka at the end of the episode for payment. I I, doubt it's in any good. I I doubt he ate that. Anyway, that part's interesting because it shows some continuity follow, which is always great, always welcome. Mm -hmm. But that tells nothing about the most interesting part of this episode. Not a single hint. Of the episode we just watched or what's coming up? No, of what's coming up. Oh, okay. That that little summary. Yeah. Is, tells nothing of this episode. Yeah, that's that's Netflix for you. They either go all in or they go very vague. I feel like this isn't just this isn't just a Netflix thing. I feel like if you looked this up on any back of a DVD cover or whatever, it's going to say the same thing. Yeah. I don't think this is necessarily a bad thing though. Yeah. That description that sounded like just right. It wasn't too specific or too universal. It was just right. We've got a good one to look forward to. Okay. All right. Good one. Good one. I am excited. Cool. All right. Well, that's going to do it for us this week. Join us next week when we discuss the amazing episode, The Blue Spirit. It's okay. You're safe. But my husband isn't. What do you mean? Where's Sokka? They haven't returned. They should have been back by now. And this storm is becoming a typhoon. They're caught out at sea. I'm going to find them. I'm going with you. I'm staying here.